I know you've uh, had a very busy day, and many of you have already been to services three times, and here you are again tonight to study even more, and certainly we commend you for your interest in spiritual things, and I'm very grateful to God for the blessings I've had today to be in your midst, and uh, I would like to just stand here and start reminiscing about folks I saw here in the assembly before services got started but I'm afraid I'd miss some folks I didn't see yet that are here and also take too long, and that's not why we're here. And so I'll go ahead and, and just say a general thank you so much for being here, and please know how much we love and appreciate you. And it's a delight to be here tonight to study God's Word together. I want to ask you a question as we begin tonight. I want to ask you this. If God had a family album... And all of the pictures in that album of those who are members of his family, his spiritual family, would your picture be in that family album? Would Jesus be able to look at you and say, Behold, my mother and my brethren. You remember the passage that was read in your hearing just a moment ago, and it was read so well to you. Here's a situation where Jesus said, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And if you can believe it, uh, one commentary I read suggested that because it had been such a hard day in the life of our Lord, he suffered a temporary memory lapse and really didn't know who his mother and brothers were and needed someone to point them out to him. You and I know better than that. We know that Jesus asked this person with design and purpose. He asked this question with design and purpose, and that's what we should think about tonight now. I want to ask you to think about the people that are depicted in these photographs. Do you know any of their names unless they're printed in the area that's uh, mentioned here? How many of you could know the names of the people that are depicted in these photos? How many of these people in this slide do you know by name? I've looked it over carefully and I don't know any of them. But I want to ask you a question. Does God know the name of every single individual that's depicted on this screen right now? Yes. And I want to ask you this question. If these people, those who are accountable on this screen, if these people claim to be in the family of God, how would they be able to verify their claim? It's not enough for us to say that we're in the family of God because I want you to go to Matthew chapter 7 with me and notice something here. It's very possible that someone on this screen might say, if you were to engage in conversation with them, that they are a member of the family of God and that Jesus would certainly know them. And you might say that you're a member of the family of God and that you're absolutely confident that Jesus would point to you on the day of judgment and identify you as one of his family members. But if you'll notice in Matthew chapter 7, it's entirely possible to think God knows you, to think Jesus would know you, and then to be shocked to discover he does not. In Matthew 7:21, listen to this statement, Not every one that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, I don't know these people well enough to know if any of them would claim to have known or done the will of the Father in heaven. 
For all I know, some of the individuals represented on the screen are atheists. Some of them are members of religious organizations, I'm sure. Some of them are perhaps uh, members of something that they've learned about from their childhood. But how could you know, how could I know, whether we're in the family of God? It's not enough to just call Him Lord. It's not enough to say, Lord, Lord. Notice verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Stop. They're not atheists. The people described in Matthew 7, 22 are not Jews who denied Jesus to be the Christ. They actually recognized Him as Lord, believed He was the Lord, and according to verse 22, prophesied on His behalf, claimed to do many things on His behalf, including many wonderful works. And this sounds like a group of saved people, at least in their mind, but look at verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, unto whom? Under the very people that called me Lord and prophesied on my behalf and did many wonderful works on my behalf, those very people, Jesus said, I will look at and say, I never knew you. He doesn't say, I used to know you, but then you, he says in this case, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now I'm going to tell you, this makes me want to stop and double check triple check, quadruple check, and make sure that I am in the family of God because if it's possible for religious people to think they're in God's family and find out on the day of judgment they're not in the family of God, I don't want to find that out on the day of judgment. I want to find it out tonight. I want to know it tonight so I, so I can be ready for whenever that day of judgment may come my way. Now if you go back to the reading that we just had from Matthew 12, You'll notice there's something very specific in this text about how you can know whether you're in the family of God or not. Jesus says in verse 49, Behold my mother and my brethren, and then he said this, For, here's your litmus test right here, Whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, that's the same person he says, that is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I know sometimes people say, well, do you believe you're the only people going to Have you ever met somebody that wants to talk to you about who the only folks going to heaven are? May I lovingly suggest an approach that at least has worked well for me? And I'm not saying it's the only approach that's workable, but it's just one that I've found workable. When that question is asked, it sometimes is asked in a very uh, volatile environment. And one way to diffuse it, in my judgment, is to say, first of all, this. You've asked an outstanding question. I need to know and you need to know who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. But since it's such an important question, I wouldn't dare just give you my yes or no to it because on the day of judgment, my yes or no would be worthless. Would you look at a verse of Scripture where Jesus answered the question about who's going to heaven and who's not? And then I go to Matthew 7, 21 to begin, and I notice that Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And then if you follow up with that in Matthew 12, verse 50, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. According to Jesus in Matthew 7:21, who's going to heaven? Those who do the will of the Father in heaven. 
According to Jesus in Matthew 12 and verse 50, who's in his spiritual family? Whoever does the will of the Father in heaven. But someone might say, well, I'm not sure that we can even know the will of the Father in heaven and understand it. And yet my Bible says in Ephesians 3 and verse 4, whereby when you read, you may understand. And remember that in just a moment I'm going to tell you the true story about a man who just read his Bible and was able to understand what it was asking him to do. And then Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. True or false? Paul thought we could understand what the will of the Lord is. He said we could. So it's not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, that enters the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father in heaven, which I can read and understand. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, that's the same person that's in my spiritual family. All right, with that said, I want you to consider the story that I came across years ago in person. I came across this story after it had already happened. But the man involved told me the story, and I've learned about it from others as well. This is Knoxville, Tennessee, where this took place. 92-year-old fellow named Pop Collins. Reading his Bible, he was 92, but he still had pretty good eyesight. With spectacles and a large print Bible, he could read his Bible, and he did every day. He loved to read God's Word. One day, he came to a passage in John chapter 3. And as he's reading this, he read of how Nicodemus complimented Jesus for being a teacher come from God and how Jesus doesn't really even linger over the compliment. He says, well, really your need, Nicodemus, is to be born again. And then Nicodemus doesn't know how that could happen when you're older. And Jesus then clarifies that he's talking about a spiritual birth and says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That one passage, John 3, 5, stopped Charlie Pop Collins in his tracks. Because he understood the exclusive nature of it, except a man. Unless a man does what this statement, this verse says to do, he can't be in the kingdom of God. What is this passage? Except a man be born of water... And of the Spirit, he cannot, he doesn't say he might not, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And this caused Pop to start saying, okay, what is, have I done this? Because if I haven't done this, I cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I'd better figure out what this means and make sure I've done what it means. Let's see, born of water, born of the Spirit. Then he remembered. It, it was a few days earlier, and he couldn't even remember where he'd been reading it. The passage he was trying to find was Acts 8, where Philip, preaching a revival in Samaria and baptizing many men and women, was actually called to leave that place to go out to a deserted place to preach to one man, an Ethiopian eunuch. And you remember that he ran to the chariot. He said, do you understand what you're reading and he said, how can I, some, some man should guide me? And then he opened his mouth, began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain W-A-T-E-R, water. And he said, see, here is water. 
What doth hinder me to be baptized? And you remember Philip said, well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. They both came up out of the water. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. And Pop says, here it is. This man heard the message of the Holy Spirit when this preacher gave him the Spirit's message. And after hearing the message of the Holy Spirit via this preacher, this man wanted to be baptized in water. That must be what it means to be born of water and of the Spirit. I need to be baptized in water according to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And so he got on the phone and he called his denominational preacher up. And he said, hey, I want you to come by my house and pick me up and take me to the church building. And I want you to baptize me so I can be born again and enter the kingdom of God. His denominational preacher said, Pop, what are you talking about? What got this in your head? He said, well, I was just reading my Bible today in John 3 where Jesus said, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I've never done that. I want to enter the kingdom of God. Would you come pick me up and take me to the church building and baptize me? His preacher said, no, I don't, I don't think we're going to do that. He said, Pop, you don't really need to be baptized. You were saved many years ago when you got down at the mourner's bench and you asked Jesus to come into your heart. And uh, you don't need to be baptized in order to enter the kingdom of God. And Pop says, well, what, this verse says I do, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The preacher told him, Pop, you don't understand. When Jesus said, except a man be born of water, he wasn't talking about being baptized in water, the man told Pop Collins. He meant like a woman who's very close to delivery time will have her water break and then she'll have the baby. And so Jesus is talking about a woman about to give birth to a baby. Now, Pop was 92, but he was sharp as a tack. He said, so you're telling me water doesn't mean water. It means a woman about to give birth to a baby. That's right. Pop said, okay, um, I'm a little confused. I was reading the other day where a man heard Jesus preached, and right after hearing Jesus preached, he said, see, here is water. Was he pointing to a woman about to give birth to a baby? No, 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 no. Well, what, what was he pointing at? Well, that was actual water there. I mean, in that case, that was real water. So this man heard the message of the Holy Spirit, saw the water, wanted to be baptized in the water. That's what I want to do. His preacher refused to do it, wouldn't do it. So Pop decides he'll find someone to do it. He gets out the yellow pages. He starts going down the listings calling churches at random, and uh, every time he tells them what he wants done, they want to just say a prayer with him over the phone, and he says, no, I've already done that years ago. It, it's something I did before I knew this verse was in here. Now that I know this verse is in here, I must obey it. Will you help me? No one would. In 92, we don't want to take a chance getting you out in the elements and you get... A pneumonia and die, and then we're blamed for it. Why don't we just say a prayer and assure your salvation that way? Pop Collins would not take no for an answer, so desperate he called Baptist Hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee.
Now put yourself in the sandals of the lady running the switchboard and imagine this. You answer the phone, Baptist Hospital, how may I help you? And the voice on the other end says this. Uh, yeah, could you put me in connection with the person up there at your hospital in charge of doing all your baptizings, please? Um, sir, you, you do realize you call the hospital, right? Well, yeah, but I thought because of the name of the hospital, you might have somebody assigned to baptizing people if they wanted that. Could you put me in connection with that person, please? Now, I couldn't prove it to you beyond a shadow of a doubt. Paul, when he talked about Onesimus running away from Philemon so that he could come back as more than a slave but as a fellow brother in Christ, a fellow servant to Christ, Paul, an inspired apostle, said perhaps it was providential, and so I wouldn't go beyond what an inspired apostle said, but I think it very well might have been providential that when Pop Collins decided to place his call, the woman on the switchboard was a member of the Lord's Church, in fact, a member of the Young High Church of Christ, which is now known as the South Knoxville Church of Christ in Knoxville, Tennessee. She knew that uh, this man was really wanting to discuss this. She called her local preacher he went out and studied with Pop. They took him, dipped him gently beneath a watery grave of baptism, and then he came forth to walk in newness of life, and he went on his way rejoicing for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, my mother. Pop Collins was now a member of the family of God. I was contacted because he lived actually closer to the church building where I preached in Knoxville than he did to the other one. And so I went to visit him and he told me all about this and how excited and happy he was. Now as you stop and think about this individual and how he remembered the Ethiopian eunuch hearing the Spirit's message through a preacher and then being baptized in water and then rejoicing, you can see why he was so excited because Jesus says, if you do the will of my Father in heaven, you're one of my family members. And Pop Collins had done the will of the Father in heaven. Now I want you to contrast Pop with another man I met. I used to preach in Etowah, Tennessee. In fact, it was my very first work. And so we were having a gospel meeting, and I went and knocked on a man's door. Actually, it was a porch column. He was sitting up on his porch. And uh, I rapped on one of the columns, and he invited me on up to the porch and was very friendly. He said, what you got there? And I showed it to him, and he said, ah, oh, Church of Christ is having this meeting. He said, church. And then I'm quoting him. He said, now, aren't you that group that says baptism's got something to do with saving us? I said, well, we certainly believe Jesus is the Savior, but we want to do what Jesus said to do to be saved. And what he what he said was, and before I could get anything else out, he stopped me at mid-sentence. He said, young man, how old are you? And I told him my age. I was in my early 20s at the time. He told me, he said, I've been reading my Bible more years than you've been alive. And I'm going to tell you something right now. And I'm quoting him, so pardon the lack of English grammar here. He said, there ain't no place in the Bible that comes right out and says baptism saves us. I'll tell you that much. And I noticed that he had a Bible nearby him. 
And I said, sir, do you believe the Bible? He said, I believe every word of the Bible, young man. I said, that's wonderful. We need more people in this world who will believe every word of God's Word. But I said, can I ask you to look at one verse with me in your Bible? I could tell he really was reluctant. and I, He didn't seem to want to, but he just professed his love for this book. So I guess he felt maybe a little bit obligated. And so I said, would you locate 1 Peter 3? I want to show you just one passage, and then I want to ask you a question. And so he went to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 talking about how Noah and eight, the seven other souls, eight total souls, inside the ark were saved by water, verse 20 says, because the water lifted them up from the sinful world left behind. And then I really asked him to key in on verse 21. Now he was reading it, not out loud, but I could read his lips well enough to know that he was reading it repeatedly. In fact, one phrase in particular he just kept mouthing the words to. In 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. No, it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I kept watching his mouth, and he kept mouthing these words. Baptism doth also now save us. Baptism doth also now save us. Baptism doth also now save us. And I waited for it to sink in just a little bit, and I said, Sir, what does the inspired Apostle Peter say that baptism does? He looked back down at his Bible and looked back up at me. The Bible was kind of trembling in his hand at this point. And he looked back down at his Bible and then he looked back up at me and he said this. He said, well, well, he says it saves us, but I don't believe it. And then he invited me to get off of his property. And I didn't argue and I didn't leave his property either with some exhilaration of, hoo, 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 I got him, I got him with the Word of God. And may I stop long enough to say this to my brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to be evangelistic. Number one, I commend you for your evangelistic zeal. But may I remind all of us that more than trying to win a debate, we're trying to win a soul, right? Now we may have to dispute and persuade concerning the Scriptures to try to get people to do what the Scriptures say to do. But look, I never take delight in winning an argument if the person stays lost in their sins. I'm, I'm sad about that. And we should be heartbroken over those who would stay in their sins. This individual saw 1 Peter 3.21, looked right at what it said, and would not... In fact, he says, that's what it says, but... I don't believe it. Now, seconds earlier, he said, I believe every word of the Bible, young man. But now he says, I don't believe it. Why? Because he would have had to admit that all these years that he'd been reading his Bible or that he thought he'd been reading his Bible, that he had not seen the truth on this subject. And may I suggest this to you? If you were to walk up to him and ask him, are you a member of the family of God, how might he have responded how would he likely have responded? Yes, sir, I'm a member of the family of God. Well, let's, 
put him to the test. Pop Collins passed the test because once he saw what the will of the Father in heaven was, he was looking for a way to do it. He wouldn't stop until he found someone to help him do it. Contrast that with the man on the porch in Etowah, Tennessee, who once he saw what the will of the Father in heaven was regarding baptism, would not do it and boldly said, that's what it says, but I don't believe it. Now, please get off of my property. Okay. I left with tears in my eyes. Because here's a man that just saw point blank the plain truth of Scripture and he wouldn't accept it, and he sent me packing because of it. Whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, my mother. Had this man in Etowah, Tennessee, the man on the porch, had he been willing to do the will of the Father in heaven? No. Is he therefore a member of the spiritual family? Now, I want to suggest to you something here. Some people say, well, look, I'm not the judge. And, you know, I exactly concur with that as far as I'm not the judge, you're not the judge. But let me ask you a question. Is Jesus the judge, yes or no? According to John 5.22, will Jesus be the judge of all men? Yes. And will the words of Jesus judge all men? John 12.48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my sayings, Hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him at the last day. Now, I'm going to be kind with what I'm about to say, but I want to be lovingly clear as well. There's a man on television right now that has a very winsome smile. He preaches in Texas to thousands in the arena there in the Houston area every Sunday. And Mr. Osteen was a guest on Larry King Live. And Larry King, when he still had this live program on CNN, asked Mr. Osteen, Is it true that you believe or that one must believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved? If someone doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, will they be damned? Will they be lost? Mr. Osteen said, Larry, I'm not in the judging business. And would not answer the question. Now let me ask you something, dear friends, here tonight. If Jesus the Christ had been a guest on Larry King's program, would he have dodged that question? Yes or no? If Larry King had asked Jesus himself, is it true that you've taught that no one will come to the Father but by you? Is it true that you teach that except one believe in you, they'll die in their sins? Friends, what would Jesus have said? Would he have started him hawing and apologizing and saying, Well, I know that sounds harsh and unloving, but uh, maybe there's another way. I, maybe. No, friends. I'm here tonight to tell you that in a very loving but firm way, Jesus would have said nothing different on Larry King's program that he said in John 8, 24. Except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. I saw a lady on the Phil Donahue show. She stood up and she said, I'm a Jew. I do not believe in Jesus, but I am going to heaven. And everybody was applauding, like, yes, you tell him, you tell him. Nobody can keep you out of heaven, girl. Nobody can. T Let me ask you something, dear friends. 
Does Jesus want that woman to go to heaven? Yes, absolutely. Let me ask you something, dear friends. According to Jesus, will that woman or any other woman, will that woman or any other man go to heaven without believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes or no? If language has any meaning at all, and Jesus really meant what he said, then except you believe that I am, ye shall die in your sins. That's the truth still tonight. And then there's this statement he made in John 14, 6. Talk about no wiggle room. There's no waffling here. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, Jesus said. John 14, 6. And Acts 4.12, there's not salvation in any other name under heaven except for the name of Jesus Christ. It's not through Mohammed. It's not through Confucius or Buddha or any enlightened one of any religious stripe, my friends. The only way to go to heaven is to do what Jesus says do and follow him. That's still true tonight. And you and I should not back down from that. I want to close out now by telling you about another woman, this one studying with my father at a kitchen table in Indiana years ago. It's interesting. My father showed her the same verse that I showed the man on the porch in Etowah, Tennessee. Showed her the same verse, 1 Peter 3.21. And when she finished reading it, she took her fist and she punched the kitchen table. She was the ladies' basketball coach, girls' basketball coach. She was quite physically fit. And uh, when she punched it, it had some force to it. And my father was thinking, okay, here's where I have to be careful to do two things. One, never back down from the truth. Two, try to lovingly teach her into accepting what this passage says without being unnecessarily hateful or abrasive. So he kind of waits, and then he says, Why are you angry? And then she said this, You mean to tell me, this verse has been in my Bible all along, all along, all these years? That's been in there this whole time, hasn't it? I have owned a Bible most of my life, and if I had read my Bible like I should have been reading my Bible, I would have come across this verse a long time ago, and I would have known a long time ago that I was being misled when people said baptism had nothing to do with our salvation, because he comes right out and says, baptism does also now save us. If I'd known that was in here earlier, I would have accepted it earlier. I'm mad at myself, number one. She said, I'll tell you honestly, though, number two, I'm mad at my teachers and preachers I've had all these years. Surely they've read all the Bible, haven't they? Have they never read this verse? And if they've read this verse, why are they going around saying that baptism has nothing to do with saving us when this verse says baptism does also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? She couldn't figure out why there would be such a resistance to baptism when the Bible is plain. And you know, some lady in the Lord's Church came up to me some years ago and she said, Brother Clark, I just wish that God had come right out and said baptism was essential to salvation 
so that it would be easier to convince my friends. And I was loving, but I said, I, I suggest to you, he couldn't have been any more explicit than he already was, than he already is. He said it, and the fact that the majority of the religious world doesn't like it doesn't mean he didn't say it. In fact, I held a meeting last week in Imboden, Arkansas. And there was a young lady from a religious group that came on Tuesday night to the meeting. And then she came back the next night because she had questions. And she wanted some answers. And we sat down and studied together. And we went to 1 Peter 3.21. And she said, well, my study Bible here, though, says baptism doesn't save you. And I said, well, let me just ask you a question. I said, your study Bible was written by what? Man, right? Uninspired men. Men that weren't led directly by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. So Peter wrote as he was moved and directed by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1.21 Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is writing as the Spirit directs him to write or superintends over the process to make sure that what is written is exactly what God would want written. And there's... No doubt about it. This is God's will. Baptism does also now save you. Now, if an inspired man says baptism does also now save us, and then an uninspired man later comes along and writes a comment in that and says, well, no, it doesn't, then really you have to choose. Are you going to believe the inspired man or the uninspired one? And she said, hmm. Friends, I'm going to suggest to you tonight as I start closing out that you and I can reach people with the truth if we're loving and bold enough to tell them what it is. We can't back down from God's Word just because it's not really popular to say this. It's got to be said because whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, that's the person that's my mother, my sister, my brother Jesus said. I was in... Dunlap, Tennessee, and during the hours of 2 to 4, if you're ever looking for me, you might come to the local Sonic and see if uh, I might be sitting there waiting to get my half-price drink, Route 44, Diet Coke, pellet ice, and a nice styrofoam cup to keep it cold for a long, long time. That's where I was. I watched this lady get out of her car, and she's going vehicle to vehicle, Passing out a piece of literature. I don't really know what it is from where I'm sitting. I'm already formulating my thanks, but no thanks speech. I didn't want to be unkind, but I wasn't interested in buying anything. And so she came to my car and handed it to me, and I could see it was religious literature. Front page, Jesus loves you. Second page, all it had on it was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Third page. If you believe the Scripture on the opposite page, pray the following prayer and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart. Lord Jesus, I accept You as the Savior of my soul. Forgive me of my sins, etc. Words to that effect. And then at the end it said if you've Prayed this prayer, congratulations, you're in the family of God. And then you turn the last page, it said, now go tell others. 
And I looked it over rather quickly, and I said, Ma'am, can I say something to you? And she said, Sure. I said, First of all, I want to commend you. In a world that's often hostile to Jesus, for you to get out of your car and go car to car and tell people that Jesus loves them, that's, that's courageous, and I appreciate your courage. And I certainly agree with you. Jesus loves the world. Uh, I'm glad that he does. I love John 3.16. I'm glad that verse is being prominently uh, promoted. I have no problem with you putting John 3.16 on a piece of literature and passing it out. But I am curious about page 3. Can you help me with page 3? She said, what? I said, I notice a prayer here and a script for the prayer, but I don't notice a verse in this case. I have a Bible with me. Could you show me a place in the New Testament where a preacher ever instructed someone to pray a prayer like this with these words in order to be saved? I would, you would really help me out if you could show me that, because I've never been able to locate that in the New Testament. Can you show that to me in the New Testament? She said, well, it's, it's in there. I said, well, could, could, you, could you show it to me? Well, I know it's there. She said, well, actually, we don't, we don't need it. What about this verse over here, John 3.16? I said, well, that's a great verse. It's not a prayer, though, is it? It's, it's not a prayer. It's not a script for a prayer. It's not someone being told to say a prayer to ask Jesus into their heart, is it? Well, what do you think's involved, she said. And I started to tell her, and as soon as she could detect that I was headed even in the direction of water baptism as having anything to do with anything, she said, sir, may I respectfully say to you, there's not a drop of water in John 3.16. And I said, ma'am, you certainly may respectfully say that to me, and may I respectfully respond by saying there doesn't have to be any water in John 3.16 because John 3.5 is soaking wet already. And I could tell I had her attention for a moment, and I said, you know that in this very same passage leading up to that statement, what's already been said? Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 3.16 is not going to contradict that, is it? No. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, do you believe someone needs to repent of their sins in order to be saved? What do you think she said? She said, yes. I said, can you show me the word repentance in John 3.16? Well, the word's not there, she said, but the concept is because if you truly believe in Him, you will repent. And I said, I couldn't agree with you more. And if you truly believe in Him, you will repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, as Peter said in Acts 2 and verse 38. So I believe that word believeth is a package word. It includes more than just mental acknowledgement. I, I certainly agree with that. And I tried to lovingly show her. She walked away and uh, we left cordially. I, I don't know how it ended with her, but I know how it ended with the woman at the table. She looked at my dad and she said, Will you take me right now and baptize me so that I can be saved by the blood of Christ? And my dad took her and gently dipped her beneath a watery grave of baptism. And she came forth to walk in newness of life. And she went on her way rejoicing for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, my mother in the family. Now I want to close with this illustration because, my friends, to me, 
This really helps me. Jesus gave in Luke's account a summary of this whole discussion when he said this, My mother and my brethren are, are, okay, are these which hear the word of God and do it. Luke 8, 19 to 21. Show me a man that's heard the word of God or read the word of God and done what it says to do and I'll show you a man that's in the family. Show me a man who's heard the word of God and done parts he likes but has not done the parts he doesn't like. He's not in the family because it's doing the will of the Father in heaven, not our own will, that makes us in his family. And here's the illustration I close with. Let's say you're at the mall and your nine-year-old boy is with you. And while you're enthralled with the latest, greatest sale, Joey, your son, gets out from under your immediate supervision. And by the time you look up, you don't realize that he saw Grandma across the way in the toy store, and he went running over there to see her excitedly without telling you where he was going, and that she assumed you knew he was with her, and so she didn't bring him right to you, and they went down to another store in the mall, and you had no idea where your son was. And so your face is registering panic. The people are seeing your panic and saying, Can we help you? Yeah, my boy, he was just here. I don't know where he is. Anyone that has a heart is going to help you look for him. Now, how are they going to do that? I suppose they could leave and drag every child in the mall one by one back to you and say, Is this the one that's going to get really messy? Right? You need to give them some identifying marks that would set your child apart from any other child in the place. And so you do. You say, Okay, my son, his name is Joey. He's got blonde hair. Um... He's wearing a yellow shirt. He has on brown uh, trousers. Uh, he's nine years old. He's got blue eyes. Oh, yeah. He has a very prominent birthmark on the left side of his neck. All right. Here goes the search party, and not long, here comes someone dragging a child behind them. He's wearing a red sweatshirt and a pair of blue jeans. He says, well, what are you, what are you doing? Tell him what your name is, boy. Joey. There you go. I got him. No, you got something, but you, you didn't get my son. You might want to talk to this police officer that's headed your way. Well, he's called by the same name. Friends, I want to ask you something. Does someone wearing the same name make a child my child? Here comes someone, and they've got a child from a distance. It looks like this this could be a winner. This, this child is wearing a yellow shirt in the distance. You see the brown trousers, blonde hair. You get closer, there are blue eyes. The child's 14 years old. His name is Ralph. Okay. It's not just one of the identifying marks that makes it your child. Or what about this one? Here comes someone. The boy has blonde hair, blue eyes. He's wearing a yellow shirt. He's got on brown trousers. His name is Joey. He's nine years old. But there's no birthmark on the left side of his neck. Now, come on. Are you going to be so nitpicky as to insist on one missing birthmark? You would not dare leave that place with that child just because he has a lot of the similar characteristics that your child has. I want to ask you tonight, dear friends, as we close, does the birthmark matter? Yes or no? It does. 
it matters to you in identifying your physical child? Who are we to say that it doesn't matter to God in identifying his spiritual child? He gets to define who his children are. We don't. And he's given it that definition right here in this book. So you read it and you say, have I done what these verses say? If so, I've done the will of the Father in heaven. I'm in the kingdom family. If you're not a child of God, I'm begging you tonight to do what you need to do to get in that family. Make sure you have the birthmark. Make sure you're ready to do what's right. And if you've already been born again of water and of the Spirit, but you've wandered away, I beg you, come back home before it's everlastingly too late. Make sure you are in God's family album right now as together we stand and sing, won't you please?